This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. The Panthers know their destination for the big dance. They are a 16 seed and have arrived in Portland, Oregon for their first round matchup with number one seed Gonzaga. We'll preview the team's chances in a very daunting matchup and also look at a great week in the world of baseball. And we're halfway back to a full football coaching staff as two hires have reportedly been made. We'll discuss those moves later. But first, basketball. Dateline, Portland, Oregon, as Georgia State heads to the Pacific Northwest as a 16 seed to face the top overall seed of the tournament, the Gonzaga Bulldogs of the West Coast Conference. Tip-off from the Moda Center is 4.15 p.m. Thursday, today, as of the release of this podcast, and the madness can be seen on TNT. The Zags enter this game 26-3 and and were the national runners-up in last season's tournament. All five starters average double digits as they come into this game, averaging 87 points a game as a team. The standouts on a standout team are Drew Timmy and seven-foot freshman Chet Holmgren, both of whom start the Gonzaga front court and both of whom were named as second-team All-Americans by the Associated Press. So, gentlemen, uh, Gonzaga, thoughts? I think Coach Lanier spoke for everyone when he got asked about the selection today when he was like, I was expecting a little more anticipation and it was the first team off the board. It was like, I was a little caught off guard by it. And I think we all kind of were right as the stream started. It was like, all right, where are they going to end up? And like the first thing was like, oh, it's literally, we know right now. And it's, and then after that, it sets in, it's like, oh, it's Gonzaga. And there's a lot to do with that. We'll get into the matchup later. But I think I personally had bought into some of the own, the hype that I was giving that I felt like a 15 seat was going to happen, even if maybe the resume didn't warrant it as much. I just kind of felt like I bought into the reasons why it would be the case. And when you kind of peel it back, though, like it's a bummer to be a 16 seed and to draw Gonzaga. But like, it's not completely unwarranted just based on resume. Like if you look at the field of 68, Georgia State's 159 in the net rankings, 152 on Ken Palm's ratings. Those are both in the bottom six seeds of the tournament. So just given that default thing, they were a quote 16 seed. And part of the reason those numbers are that how they are is as we talked about, you know, out of conference didn't go to plan. There were just no quality wins in out of conference. A couple of opportunities there that teams, because they weren't hundred percent going through some issues, couldn't take advantage of. And so it feels a little bit of a blippy, like there's no reason to think that this is going to keep happening as long as out of conference goes just any better than near disaster like it was this year. Uh, but here we are, they're the 16 seed. They got Gonzaga to deal with tomorrow, today, as you're listening to this. Oof, yeah, that is a uh, tough, tough draw. Uh, I, so I actually, I was watching a movie um, like right around the time that the selection show was starting and the movie ended and I got into the selection show a little late. Uh, and I, it was like a couple of, I think they were doing like the, uh, the three and what was that? Uh, 14, something like that. 
yeah, the three fourteen of the next region. So it's like you know, it was, it was a good bit late, I suppose. Um, and then I was like, dang, okay, I, you know, I, I'm wondering who Georgia State's gonna pick. And then they did like a little recap of like, all right, here's all the picks that we've made so far. And it was like Gonzaga, Georgia State, and I was like, that's gotta be a joke. There's no way. There's no way Georgia State got matched up with Gonzaga. Like, come on. Uh, but here we are. It's absolutely the case. Um, and I mean, it's. It's a rough assignment for Georgia State, because if you take the whole season from literally the day before the season started and, you know, you, you look back at our uh, expectations for this team both here on the Thursday night podcast and just, you know, where Georgia state wants to be. If you came up to any of us, especially me and was like, Georgia state's going to make the tournament, but they're going to be the 16th seed. I'd be like, how is that possible? But then like Brady said, if you look at kind of where their resume was from the season, it makes a ton of sense, you know, and it's, it sucks because this team is not a 16th seed. And I have been really encouraged by a lot of the respect that I've been seeing thrown Georgia State's way from people. I mean, we can get the we'll just say it. Gonzaga is expected to win this whole thing like that's the proverbial choice that most people are going to make. Yes, you're going to have your, you know, college basketball insiders who are going to pick UCLA or Arizona or whomever, you know, but a lot of people when they make their bracket once that's, you know, finalized at 11 a.m. Central tomorrow or whenever the first game tips, you know, you're going to see a lot of Bulldogs on ESPN and deservingly so like that's a good team. But I'm also seeing a lot of people look at this Georgia State team and say, you know what? No, they should not have been in this game, you know, and I I disagreed with Brady a little bit last week. I didn't think Georgia State would get up to a 15, not because the arguments were incorrect. They were absolutely correct. This, like I just said, this is not a 16 team, a team that's worthy of this 16 seed. But given the resume, it's not great. Given the performance in the middle of the season really wasn't great. Um, Given where the Sunbelt is. I mean, it's a better conference than a 16 seed I'm line. On that one. I'm going to bump on that one. I think that it is an un, uh, it is not representative of the Sun Belt. Like I thought the Sun Belt was a there was no dominant team this year, but I thought that the the league on the whole is starting to raise its game again. I'm encouraged by, you know, stuff like Norchad O'Meara's coming back. Louisiana is bringing back a whole team like. I feel like everything the ground is laid, even without Georgia State's input that next year. I feel pretty safe that Georgia State, uh, the Sunbelt representative, will be back in like the 14 line where it should be. But like, I, I would want to remove the talk about like the Sun, like the Sunbelt's been a good league. It's not been where the usual. Yeah. I'm not poo pooing on the Sunbelt because I think it's a bad league. I don't think it's a bad league. It's absolutely better than a 16 seed line. My thing with this, though, is Georgia State was the third best team in the Sunbelt regular season wise. And I think that I, I had a feeling that the committee would take that into consideration as opposed to if like a, I think Troy was the second best team. Or, sorry, App State was the second best team. If they had ended up with an upset in the Sunbelt tournament or if Texas State came in, I think Texas State could have gotten as high as a 14 seed. I don't think they could have got a 13 or anything like that. Um, but I just think that given where Georgia State finished the year, that the, the committee would be a little bit more harsh on them. And I also think that there was some upsets that we, you know, we like laid out and talked about that just didn't necessarily happen for Not Georgia State. 
to be yeah not enough of them to be off the 16 seed line um but you know that being said they're gonna play a game today when you're listening to this it's gonna go how it goes um you know i'm sure brady and i will get into who make up these zags and you know what you can kind of expect out of this zags team but you know the players don't care you know you could have put an nba team in front of them and they would have still came out there put on that blue white or black uniform and been like all right we're here to play some basketball so you mean put a different nba team in front of them yes uh that's some foreshadowing but yes uh last thing i want to say about the this Everything I just laid out, I still think is true. Like the resume is what it is. And I don't think it's an unwarranted thing. Yada, yada, do better in future, avoid this fate. That said, I don't think anyone would batten an eye if Cal State Fullerton, who is a 15 seed playing Duke and traveling to Greenville, South Carolina from Fullerton, California, if they had been the 16 seed playing Gonzaga and if Georgia State was the 15 seed playing Duke in Greenville, a lot closer. You know, people would have maybe looked at it and been like, oh, I don't know. And then the committee could have been like, well, look at how they're playing now. It's a different team. And the good arguments that we've made and why they should have been a 15. All all I'm going to say is I don't think anyone would have really noticed. And I I think everyone would have been a lot more satisfied and would have been still a daunting task, but maybe not the Herculean task in front of Georgia State as they get ready for Gonzaga. And I mean, it it all starts, you know, we talked about. There's two second team All-Americans on that team. And like starting there, that already puts this team several times better than any team Georgia State's faced this year, talent-wise. Just, just off the bat, they have literally not faced a team that is this talented. And, you know, the frustrating thing about Georgia State earlier in the year when they faced some of those teams is they weren't healthy. So, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. But... At the same time, though, even though Georgia State does have everybody for this, I mean, you know, we're talking about a team that only had three losses and they every team that they lost to was in the tournament. Like it's you know, we're we're talking about a team that could only get, you know, blown off their court or whatever against other really good teams themselves. So, you know, it's certainly a task for Georgia State to keep it a game, I would say. And, you know, and I think there is a path for Georgia State to make it a game. Um, you know, we're talking about a team that kind of caught on fire offensively lately. Uh, we're talking about a team that over the last, you know, two months now has been one of the best defensive teams in the country, you know. But we're also still talking about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So, yeah, so. You mentioned the three losses to three tournament teams. I actually had something on this because they lost to Bam on a neutral court. They lost to Duke on a neutral court. And they lost on the road at St. Mary's. Alabama and Duke outscored them, and that's why they won. They both scored in the 80s and 90s in those games. St. Mary's held them to 57. And that was in a very impressive ta- task. I was watching that game. It was mighty impressive win for the Gales. And they're a top 10 defense in the country. Like It's not just like anyone can roll off the out of the bed and just hold them to under 60 points like that takes a full 40 minutes and not to mention that they just rematched again in the wcc championship and gonzaga dropped 82 on them so it's not like it's just like oh every time you can do this like even good defensive teams who have a good defensive game against them can still have them drop 80 on them because they're really good and you know mentioned timmy and holmgren but it's funny because them being so good and, you know, Chet being this wonder freshman who's probably going to go in the top three, 
kind of overshadows that like the rest of their starting five is just crazy good also. You know, Julian Strother, Razier Butler, uh, Razier Bolton, and Andrew Nemhard are all excellent players. And again, speaking to just the program they have, and I know we're just kind of gushing on them, but like they're really good. They've got two freshmen, two uh, Nolan Hickman's a four-star, I think top 35 recruit, Hunter Salas, five-star recruit in this last class. They're both on the bench. They play, but they don't really play it done. I mean, granted, we'll see if we see more of them in the second half of this game, but like they're guys that probably could have had starting jobs as freshmen, as true freshmen, most places in the country. And they're not really that big of role players. And I think part of the reason why they're cool with that is because Julian Strother was that way last year on a very good Gonzaga team. He didn't play a lot. He was kind of playing the same type of minutes they were this year. He's come in as a sophomore and been playing tons of minutes and he's a key part of this team. And so it is just speaks to the program that Mark Fuse built there that he's got the commitment to where these, these two freshmen who could have played a lot of places and been already playing a lot of minutes commit to maybe a year where they're not playing as much. And so that that's where you're at. You know, Georgia state would, would love to have either of those guys coming in starting for them in this game. And that's, that's, you know, it's very impressive. And, you know, speaking of Mark few, we talked about a lot of the encouraging like bracket people noticed that Georgia state probably was underseeded and it's a good team. And another person who noticed was Mark few, who was saying today when his uh, media availability before the game, that this wasn't 16 C and talking about the analytics was just how much better this team is analytically than some of the other 16 seeds and a lot of this was all encouraging and it's a little discouraging when the head coach of the team you're hoping to catch off guard is also aware so you know lots of encouragement to see it from guys who live breathe college basketball write about it all year maybe if you're hoping to sneak by Gonzaga their head coach talking a lot about it maybe more of a okay they're ready for this but I think we kind of knew that anyway like I, just on a gut thing, there's certain matchups that you feel like, oh, this team, maybe you can catch them on a day. Gonzaga's not really that way. And especially this year, coming back from having lost in the title game, it just feels like a really bad time to catch a really good team because it just does. It feels like they know they're on a mission. So, you know, that's what Georgia State's up against. <laughs> Yes. You know, it's like David versus like seven Goliaths or whatever, because like you mentioned, like this is a they might run eight deep. And, and, you know, if this was a Sunbelt team, we'd say, you know, oh, that's, you know, kind of shallow of the rotation. But like they run eight deep for guys who are probably all conference guys in other leagues, you know, where, you know, there's just so many good talented players on this team. But all right, I'll ask you, Brady. Um Let's say we didn't live in a world where Virginia had that catastrophic loss to UMBC a few years ago and number one seeds, including number one overall seeds, still slept on their 16 seed opponent. What does Georgia State need to do to make it so there's four minutes left in this basketball game and there are a lot of Bulldogs fans on the edge of their seats when they thought that they'd be tuning into other games at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky question because like there's the the formula would be there in theory because Gonzaga runs the fourth fastest tempo in America per Ken Palm. And so you'd think team that gets a lot of quick possessions, maybe they're running quick possessions, missing shots, and 
empty possessions. Georgia State's maybe milking the clock at the other end, and that's how they're staying in the game. But Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga runs quick tempo and also gets really efficient looks off of it. They shoot over sixty percent on two pointers this year and just under thirty eight percent from three. And so, like the simplest answer is that you've got to catch them on a bad shooting day, which are very few and far between. Like that's going to be the given, and you're going to have to carry the shooting that you had in the Sunbelt tournament that you picked up on uh, in the App State game and in the championship against Louisiana, because it's going to take effort at both ends of the court to beat this team. Like Georgia State has done a marvelous job of when the offense hasn't been there, finding a way defensively to make enough plays to get wins this conference stretch, but that ain't going to fly in this game. But we've saw, you know, in the tournament, you saw stretches where the team was playing good collectively on both sides of the ball. Maybe certain parts of the game, the offense got accentuated in the semifinal and the championship, but you saw flashes of both. And so, you know, Coach Lanier's talked all year about, you know, the team has not played its best ball yet and continues to say that. And, you know, he said it himself, it's like, this is going to have to be the game where you have to bring it out because you're going to need it on both sides of the court. Yeah, uh, you're definitely right about that. Um you know, I think the the trouble for Georgia State that I see is I see the exact same defense that they've been having over the last two months. Um, it, you know, getting a lot of turnovers, forcing shots that, you know, guys would rather not take, uh, you know, LEL kind of doing his thing on the inside, even against Chet. Like, you know, we've talked about it. Chet is probably a lottery pick in the NBA draft this year. Um, you know, Timmy plays the forward, but he's more of a three. He's not really at the four position. Um, and he'll probably be like the primary ball handler sometimes too. Um, when Nehard is on the bench or whatever, but like that's, I think you're still going to have to see the impact that LEL has and the impact that Jalen Thomas can have, you know, being a big body in the paint in the case of LEL or, you know, rim protection in the case of Jalen. Um, and then, Hey, if Corey Allen wants to do what he did against, you know, Louisiana in the championship game, like now's a hell of a time to do it again. But it's also going to take, you know, Kane Williams doing the same thing. It's also going to take Justin Roberts doing the same thing. Um, it's it's definitely going to be time for, you know, a guard to not only step up in the ways that we said all year, but, you know, if this is your last collegiate basketball game, throw all of the marbles in there, you know. Um, and I think for me, what I want to see is... I just want to see a better performance than I saw the last time Georgia state was in the NCAA tournament. You know, there was a lot going on for that tournament. I don't want to necessarily rehash the specifics, um, but with this team, you have not, I at least have not seen anybody question any of the people who plays effort, their hustle, you know, their resolve, especially, especially the last month, you know, and we're going to hear the, and whoever gets the call for the game, we're going to hear the Mississippi state bus story a hundred times. And it's going to be a great story to share with everybody in America. Um, truthfully, like I, you know, I welcome that. Uh, but I, I just want to see Georgia state going out as hard as they played in the Sunbelt tournament. You know, I don't want it to seem like, and I, I, I can't say what's going to happen because, you know, we're talking about 18 to 22, 25 year olds or whatever. Um, 
But they know how good Gonzaga is. They know what they're up against. They know that they have to play near a perfect game to even keep it close. But as long as they do all of the little things, I think it'll still be an entertaining game for Georgia State fans, you know, and Georgia State athletics to watch. Yeah. And, you know, the pressure is all on Gonzaga. And like the longer the game goes on and it's a game that's you're impressing people who are just casual fans tuning in, knowing that Gonzaga is this tournament favorite that's the big dog that you know is going to be in contention for cutting down the nets when all is said and done in the final four. So, you know, the pressure is on them and you can just cut it loose. And there's almost no way to go lower than expectation in this game, which just gives you the ability to go out there and play like Dave was like, that is the formula for what David was talking about, where you can just kind of go out there, cut it loose, do what you do. You're not going in there, you know, it is the one for 16. Everyone knows the history and you know that you're a good team and you can show them that and you can show the world that and all the people tuning in. And that's certainly, you know, I don't think that anyone around Georgia state would have necessarily wanted to play Gonzaga if they had a choice in it. But it, it also, you know, that now that it's happening, I'm sure it is this big encouraging challenge to have that's like, yeah, LEL is going to get to go out there and battle against Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren and Jalen Thomas too. And it like, I'm sure they're ready for the competitive challenge of it all because that's what they're out there to do to compete. Like that's what drives them to be the student athletes that they've been in their careers. And so there's a certain part of it, like obviously they recognize how good this team is and that it is in a huge mountain to overcome, but like, it's not a cliche. Like, Athletes are built different. Like it isn't, they aren't sitting there thinking, Oh, we're going to get blown out. Like maybe some fans listening to this podcast are like, that isn't where their mindsets are. They're ready for the challenge and I'm ready to see what they can do when the uh, clocks, the twenties up on the clock in the Moda center in Portland. Yeah, you know, like they they're going to go through their pregame routine. There's a couple pictures floating around of the practice today in Portland. You know, they're as ready as they're ever going to be. You know, they're athletes, like you said. So um, I guess I my didn't final- that they were all just taking half court shots. So it's like if you want an indication that they're kind of loose going into this game, they were just always like end of practice. All right, let's just throw up half court shots. Yeah, that's I did not that's see a- if anyone who got them. I need to go back and do a counter and see who got in. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, I hope they bring that for the game. Uh, but, you know, I guess my last point is just kind of a uh, a look back and kind of like a look. For, uh, sorry, not a look back. I, I want to look forward because this shouldn't happen again, if we're being honest. And I don't know what the Sun Belt is going to look like next year in terms of what the new additions are going to bring, where they're going to be. But I kind of have an idea of who's going to be good next year around, you know, where we expect Georgia State to be. I don't think going into the season next year, Georgia State is going to be the favorite and they shouldn't be. It's definitely going to be a bit of a transition year, which is fine. We'll talk about that through the offseason. But for future us and for future Georgia State basketball. In the future, if you would like to avoid facing the number one overall seed. Let's hope that your regular season goes a little bit better and you schedule a little bit better and, you know, you still end up winning the Sunbelt tournament. I I don't know if the schedule has anything to do with it. I think if like everything goes back to, you know, that day in November when they played Rhode Island, if they have their whole host of players and win that game, that alone, that one game might have been enough to flip 
but it's just because there was nothing to go off with as far as resume wins. Like, I, I would also like to see a really good schedule, and I look forward to seeing who comes to the new Convocation Center next year. But I think the schedule was there because I don't think that this schedule stood out as particularly weak compared to other years. And, you know, the difference is, is in like 2019, Georgia State had a win over Alabama. That helped them get to a 14 seed. Beaten some good mid-majors most of those years as well in 2015, 18, and 19 that there weren't any of those wins on the schedule. Like it wasn't even that there were any particularly bad losses, although the one to UTA and to Mercer ended up look, not looking so great. And, you know, for the record, neither did the one against Tech. But other years you've had wins you could hang your hat on. You know, even last year, you know, beating Georgia Tech, if they'd made the tournament, that probably would have bumped them up a seed line to maybe, you know, wherever they would have landed. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think I'm a little bit a product of this. I'm saying that as a product of the circumstance with this year, you know, hopefully knock on wood in future years. We're not talking about COVID guys missing time because of COVID. We're not talking about, you know, games being canceled and, you know, only a non D one schedule or whatever. But just like I said. In the future, let's hope we kind of go back to the era of basketball where the Sun Belt is seen as a kind of middle of the road conference to above. Because like you said earlier, it's absolutely an ascending conference. It's not on the same upward trajectory as football has seen in terms of, you know, mid-major status. Yeah, that's probably fair. But the Sun Belt is absolutely not a conference whose tournament champion should just be residing on the 16 line unless there's an upset like there was last year. All right, so I know you guys also have some thoughts about just the tournament in general, and I know you got some spicy takes on some upsets. I would like to hear what you guys have to say, but I'm going to go ahead and put out there, I like Chattanooga. I want to see Chattanooga take down Illinois and uh, move on to the next round, see what see what they can do. They had that really, really cool, uh, crazy end of the uh, championship game in the SoCon against Furman. So let's see if they can repeat something like that, but uh, what you guys got? See... I've got a little bit of reputation here because I called all my shots right last year. I got North Texas. I got Abilene Christian. I think there was another one. Not that I'm keeping count. I want to say that I, I've thought about the Chattanooga one. I think that one's rat poison. I think too many people are picking that upset for me. It's too rich for my blood. I think at the end of the day, Kobe Coburn is really good down low and he's just going to be a force that's going to be really hard to deal with, even though Chattanooga has some power conference transfers in there. But I, I'm staying away from that one. There's some some upsets every year. There's it's just like there's too much noise about this, and I'm, there absolutely is. I'm risking it with one of the ones that I do have, uh, a couple of them, but I feel like it's on the right side. I, I think I'm just tr- trusting my gut that th- there's just just too little noise that it works out. Um, I don't have any past the you know three seed and above this year. I didn't. If it happens, I'll be surprised everyone else. I just don't really see any of the upsets on the one, two, or three lines this year. Um, I guess, except I'm supposed to leave doubt for Georgia State because of listenership and all. Leaving doubt for Georgia State. Uh, but I've got four that I've circled on the 512 and 413 line. I've got IU, who just won in the play-in game in uh, Dayton, beating St. Mary's. I've got Jelly Walker and UAB beating Houston. And then the 13 line, I've got South Dakota State beating Providence, and I've got Vermont beating Arkansas. And as a bonus, I've got Vermont going to the Sweet 16, beating UConn next round as well. Okay, I love all of that. Um, 
I really, really like, uh, I think it was the second one you said, the Indiana St. Mary's. I will be honest, for the play-in, I did think Wyoming would win. So I didn't have St. Mary's at first, but I also knew that if Indiana won it, I don't like St. Mary's at all against Indiana. Um, So that one I'm excited about. Um, I am struggling with Iowa Richmond. Uh, I I really want to say that I feel Iowa because I believe they're you know one of the top offenses in the country. I I just don't like it. I don't know. Richmond did all that work. Um, They upset Davidson in that championship game. Like they, you know, played some really inspired ball late. And I think I like that upset a little bit more than I like UAB Houston. Um, I thought of, I thought about that one a lot because Houston is a good team this year, but they're not the same caliber of team as they were last year um the american i think was a little bit weaker as well um and they have i think one win against the tournament tournament team and it's their last one in the aac championship against memphis exactly um and you know i yeah i i just really didn't necessarily like houston oh i mean um, i'm terrified picking against kelvin i think that they're <laughs> he's a really good coach i think they're a good program and like i wasn't necessarily as woke as i am on houston until they ran it up and down the court against Georgia state in 2019. And since then I've had my eyes on them and like, I wasn't surprised they made a final four run last year. Like I think they're good. And so it does scare me a little bit picking against them because they could just go out there and be, you know, play grown man basketball and get it done. They absolutely could. Um, Okay. So I have what I call a pretty big upset, but it's not necessarily a huge upset in the first round. Oh Um, yeah. Welcome it. I think I know what it is. Okay, I think you do too. I have Loyola Chicago going back to the Sweet 16. Um, And the reason I do is because I don't like Ohio State. I think Loyola Chicago is not a 10 seed. They definitely should have been a higher seed, but I get it. Um, Oh, I hate that I'm picking against Jay Wright because I have the same I have the same thought about Villanova as you do with Houston. And we've talked about it for multiple years. Um, yeah, Jay Wright's, I think, the top coach in basketball for me right now. Absolutely. Basketball. They they haven't won a championship. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this like this, but they haven't won a championship in a few years. But I still think that he is the best coach in college basketball as well. Um, and that was probably the best college basketball team in our lifetime or one of them. Correct. Like that 2018 Villanova team was insane. I go back to their page of stats every once in a while and just laugh at how Everyone on that team shot in and around 40% from three. Everyone. Literally yes. up and down the roster. Yes. And, you know, when I'm watching, like, the NBA, and I'm just, like, thinking, and anytime they mention Jay Wright and Villanova, I'm like, man, that last team that they had that went was ridiculous. Um, however, I don't know. I'm just really feeling the sauce with Loyola, these Ramblers, man. So I do have them in the Sweet 16. Um, they are. I think they're going to lose, unfortunately. Sorry, you know, the Ramblers. I, I live sorry, so close Jean. to them. Yes, sorry, sister. Um, other than that, though, I feel like my bracket as of right now um, is pretty tame. I think the only other, like, upset that I'm, like, feeling out, per se, is... I kind of like Davidson over Michigan State, but I'm not like 100% on that 10-7's one. 10-7's not upsets. It's, it's, and it's Anything not. below 11-6 is 
is an yeah. upset to me. I don't, 11, six and closer. Like I don't really view those as really, that's not a call your shot upset. That's just kind of like you like the matchup or whatever. Right. And th- you know, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think Davidson kind of got screwed, not screwed. Uh, they would have been a higher seed had they had won that conference tournament. Um, probably like a little bit higher. And I know that Tom Izzo really loves winning on the first weekend and kind of doing whatever from there. But I don't know. I, I really feel like this is a good year for Davidson and they just, you know, missed a couple of free throws late in that game to Richmond. And, you know, they're going to they'll they'll probably go to the at least the round of 32. The content will be good either way there, because you've either got Izzo versus Coach K in Greenville, you know, assuming Duke beats Fullerton. Or you've got Davidson and Bob McKillop versus Coach K and, you know, the in-state thing there as well. So that the round of 32 game bona fide content, no matter what. And plus, Davidson's got a Michigan State transfer on their roster. And so there's some fun there in the first round as well. I, I, I feel like I say this every year. And I'm sure I do, but... I don't know, man. These games this year, it, like, there's just it's so much fun. There's so much fun around this board. Like, I, like I know this isn't the the prompt, but like, pick two games that you're just super excited for. San Francisco, Murray State, best round of the round of sixty four, hundred percent. It's a ten seven, but and it, again, it sets up another one of those where if Murray State wins, it'd be Murray State, Kentucky, which is just going to set the state of Kentucky on fire just entirely on fire, no matter what happens in that game. Um, and I got to look for another one. You put me on the spot here. I, I'm sorry. I had to. Though. I'm going to go with just on the first round, just because the rest of them like might not happen. You know, like I've, I could have better matchups down the line, but it, they're imaginary matchups uh, as far as we're concerned. I, I'm going to double up and mention the Vermont, Arkansas game because I feel like it'll be like the perfect mid-major veteran team beats an SEC school if it happens. And so, like, I think they could play out as a fun one. I do like that one. I like that one. Uh, I was going to say that Murray State-San Francisco game is my one. Um, I do have a solid and different second one, but that game is going to be really fun. Murray State is really good this year, and I mean, so is San Francisco. So, um, I think... The game that I am the most excited to watch is that Boise State Memphis game. And not even just because, oh, you know, in a fantasy land, Georgia State can, you know, upset the Zags and that'll be oh, their know, second round opponent. Believe but, me, we haven't talked about the second round probably just because we're being realistic. But like if the upset happens, we'll be on the airwaves immediately talking about that game because we'll know the opponent is. We'll be like revel, revel, revel. And then like we'll have that matchup covered. So don't worry if that if that matchup's gonna happen we'll have a podcast for you absolutely and but you know like boise state like that that team won the regular season and the tournament in a four bid league that's a really good basketball team memphis had a surprise run to the aac final um like I said, the conference was a little bit down this year, but like that Memphis team, I guess, is sneaky good. And, you know, they got to bust out those Memphis State uniforms, man. I love them. I, think I love they only them so wear those much. Now. I hope so, because there's no school called Memphis State anymore. But dang it, that's the basketball school, I oh, guess. Yeah. I think Memphis is second in all of college basketball from a certain point as they've been on this winning streak in defense, according to like analytics, if you look at it. And so, like you say. They've turned to switch a la what Georgia State's done, maybe just on a higher 
higher level gotten to that nine seed line. Yeah, you know, it's just going to be a fun tournament, and I I just can't wait. I'm I'm sorry that we're recording this now, and people are going to listen to it before Georgia State takes the court. But like, and some of these games will have already have happened. But it's just the tournament is always yeah. so much fun. This is always my national holidays. Just four national holidays in a row. So of course we will be watching. You should be watching too. Four fifteen p.m. on TNT. Panthers taking on the Zags. Let's go ahead and move on to baseball, who had a very good week, kept their momentum going from last week, winning two of three over Presbyterian at the weekend before hanging up to number fifteen Clemson and beating the Tigers six to one on Tuesday night to improve to eleven and six on the year. The Panthers head home to start Sunbelt play with a three-game set Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against Little Rock, and then head to Coolray Field, home of the Gwinnett Stripers, to face Georgia Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. Saturday and Sunday's game against Little Rock will be available on ESPN+. So, gentlemen, baseball. Yeah, I felt like this was the first week where either good or bad, the expectations got shifted. You know, it didn't go the way... It was supposed to, so to speak. You know, Georgia State, when they've hosted some teams they're supposed to sweep at home, they did that. And when they went to Florida, it was a tough series and they lost all three games. And then this week, you were going up against a Presbyterian team who is about similar to you on paper and you won two or three at home. And then you went up to Clemson and got a really impressive road win against the top 25 teams. You know, second straight year that you've had that happen. And I was really impressed with obviously, you know, Cameron Landry four and a third innings, eight strikeouts. And he's really been showing a lot. And especially he's done, he's done a couple of these midweek games against power conference teams. Cause he also pitched against Georgia tech and had a great outing then as well. And, you know, I just wrote down Griffin Cheney and then stonks with an arrow pointing up because I mean, the guy is just mashing right now, three home runs in the game against Clemson. That's a ties a record of opponents of Clemson in games that he's hitting in the four fifties batting average, you know, just, as we've been talking about needing to get some more offensive development, I think he's been the exception to the rule because him and Max Ryerson have been Max Ryerson have been hitting all year long, and he definitely did that in a big way in the win on Tuesday. Yeah, this Georgia State team is putting together some really good baseball. Um, I think the thing that I'm encouraged about, especially in regards to the pitching, is you know they're just striking guys out a lot. You know, they had 14. They outstruck out Clemson on Tuesday, 14 strikeouts to, you know, having 12. And that's not like a perfect one to one. You know, this is like in basketball. If you shoot more threes than your one one game sample sizes are dangerous anyway. Right. Exactly. But that's good. You know, that is why they ended up winning this game. You know, their pitching has been incredible. And like you've said about Cheney, you know, like we've said about Ryerson and, you know, Pearson and you know a couple other guys like Georgia State is kind of just hitting you know like and it's not just that they're hitting home runs obviously you know shout out to Cheney for three (laughs) that's pretty helpful but you know there are other guys all up and down this lineup right now that are hitting and you know I want to talk about the one loss to Presbyterian in this stretch just because you know it was a 13 to 10 loss, you know, okay. That was the one day that they weren't pitching. Well, yeah, I get it. You know, the thing that jumps out to me is the walks. I hate walks. Everybody who knows me and knows how much I like baseball. I can't stand walks. Don't walk guys. The one thing that I'm encouraged by this game though, and I've said it about Georgia state earlier is in the bottom of the eighth inning, going into the eighth inning, you're looking at a 13 to three game. 
there's six outs to play. You're down 10 runs. So what does Georgia State do? They put a seven spot up. You know, they're putting up crooked numbers against teams that they should be putting up crooked numbers against, you know, and it's the same guys that we expect to be leading the charge. And that to me is so much more encouraging than kind of some of the other losses that they've had. And I think if Georgia State is going to continue to pitch the way that they have, if they're going to continue to hit the way that they have, we're not going to be looking at a team in a couple of months who's at the bottom of the Sun Belt. I really don't believe so. They have shown me specifically too much that there's too much talent on this team and on this roster for them to be, you know, where they were a couple of years ago. And I know the Sun Belt is a good baseball conference. I know that it is. Yeah. And, you know, going into this series, Little Rock, they're 10 and 5. Weirdly, they've only played one road game. I don't know what that's about, um, but they're going to get a real road test when they head down to the bus lot on a Friday night. But I feel like they're probably in a similar place as Georgia State, where they're feeling pretty good about where they have been so far as they've been playing out most of their non-conference schedule. And now it's going to be one of those series where I think after all said and done this weekend, one of them is going to be feeling better than the other one and saying, this is where we're at feeling good, you know, two and one or three and oh in the Sun Belt to start out. And, you know, Little Rock's 10 and five, nothing to sneeze at. It's not one of the teams that like stand out as like the big dogs to take down in the baseball league in the Sun Belt. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see how they, when they show up against those guys and when they're playing against, you know, your Coastals, your South Alabamas, uh, your Louisianas, but still will be a weekend that, gives you an indication of where they are vis-a-vis the rest of the teams in this conference. And then, you know, the, the UGA game's fun because you're doing it in the minor league park. You're going up to Cool Ray. Um, unfortunately, not going to be able to get to go. I was hoping to line up to where I could be there. Um, won't work out, but they're good. <laughs> they're 14-3 and three pending their series this weekend against Mississippi State for them to start conference play. And it's going to be another one where, you know, What's nice about the Clemson win and what you can maybe get out of playing UGA is like, okay, that could be a game that just goes, you know, you lose seven, three, whatever, drive up, drive down, call it an eight. But like the Clemson win, you get to take something back from that one. And it's not just kind of a game where you play it out and it goes how it goes. And this is another opportunity, just a midweek game against a good school. Maybe you can get another good win and against an in-state foe. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that I believe Georgia Southern has beaten Georgia this year in baseball. So the gauntlets already got laid down. You got to match that. Yeah. Sorry, Panthers. You just, you got to match that. Absolutely have to. All right. So, and last but not least, we've got football. Spring practice is on hiatus this week due to spring break as the Panthers still build toward the spring game on April 1st. And coach Elliott has made moves on the offensive side of the ball after new offensive coordinator, Josh Stepp left to take a job at Louisville. Wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator Trent McKnight has been named the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Like step before him, McKnight has been with Coach Elliott every season he's been in Atlanta. To replace McKnight in his old job, Quinshot Davis has reportedly been hired from an analyst job at USF as the new wide receivers coach. This is Davis's first full-time coaching position in college football after a standout career at UNC, where he still holds the all-time touchdown receptions record. So a little bit of football news, gentlemen. You got any thoughts? Yeah, I don't know anything because um, last week I was like, hey, I might wait a while. And maybe if they do, it'll be John Hole is the interim guy. And it's the other guy who is on staff who stayed through the transition. And, you know, in retrospect, I was probably foolish to put 
McKnight aside because, you know, he was basically the same mold as if you had hired him when you hired Coach Step in the OC job because he's been here the entire time. Coach Elliott's been in Atlanta, like you said, and he's done his job. You know, he's been a good receivers coach in his time at Georgia State. And so you're giving a guy, you're making the continuity hire and you're giving a promotion to a guy who's done his job well. And so basically I would copy and paste a lot of the thoughts I have with the coach step higher when that happened, because I think it is a higher in a very similar vein. And so in that respect, you know, congratulations to him for the promotion. I think coach Elliott's trusting one of his guys, the guy who's done a good job to take that next step. Absolutely. You know, and I will be honest, I am not as plugged in on things of that nature when it comes to coaches and stuff as Brady is, but I can say that apparently Brady isn't (laughs) right based on last week, based on last week. Yes. Uh, But I can say that given where coach Elliott has been and kind of what we expect from this offense going forward, you know, coach McKnight is going to be under the exact same vein that Glenn was before him and what we thought step would be. So, you know, hats off to him for the promotion and the, you know, cushy new office. And hopefully there's no other players to break any other news (laughs) in that vein, but, but, uh, you know, I'm sure Georgia State is going to be fine. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't have any coordinating experience, play calling experience, that type of thing. He's been a game coordinator, a run game or pass game coordinator at a couple of different spots, including that's what his new title was with the new shakeup when Coach Step was offensive coordinator. But I don't know that he has that much like less play calling experience as far as what's relevant to Georgia State in 2022 than what Coach Step had. And so, like coach step had done it at the high school level, but I feel like that was still going to be something where you're like needing did like recognizing that it was a step up. And so in that respect, I feel it's kind of a wash and I don't think it really factors in. And I don't know that it should factor into whether he can do the job or not. And I think obviously now that there's still a week after this with practice and then the spring game, I think coach Elliott's obviously going to want to get him into the role as soon as he can, you know, like get him comfortable with the play calling responsibilities and what it's going to be like on a game day. But I feel like that stuff you just kind of have to take for granted. It's going to happen. You know, like if it doesn't, we wouldn't have any idea on the outside, but like, I feel like that's where you just kind of say this coaching staff that's put together winning product the last couple of years is going to have a successful product and is able to do all the little things that they need to behind the scenes, because that's what they've been showing. They've been doing the last few years. And so I feel like, we're going to see how it plays out, but I think it's going to just kind of be what we expected with the original hire of coach step that the offense is going to be what it is. And maybe he's got the wide receiver passing game insight and has something for the passing game, some wrinkles to throw in there with that and interested to see. Okay, you use wide receiver and throw and wrinkle in the same sentence. So book it here, folks. Georgia State is going to have some wide receiver passes this year. You heard it here first. It's absolutely happening. I just want to say for the record, I didn't say that. And David is. No, I heard it. Also, I heard it. It, was, it was at this time of year, a few years ago, that David did say that Georgia State was going to be Tennessee. So I think it was even in the month of March. So I'm not going to discount that that is happening. And David's going to be able to come back to this when there's a big wide receiver pass for a touchdown in a game. And we're going to play the audio like we did that time. Uh, so I'm certainly not discounting the possibility. I just want to to in case it isn't what happens you know it was all david i think that might have been episode two or three of the podcast when when david that, called yeah, that. And we, that we all ancient. thought you were insane 
That does sound right, by the way. The, like episode two or three. I'm pretty sure that was like, this was still a new thing and I was just shooting from the hip, but it made sense. And then Dan did it too. So if, Don't yeah, be shocked. Dan made you feel better about it. Don't be shocked. And then, you know, the, the wide receiver coach hire, Quinshaw Davis, you know, he's a young guy and this is, you know, like, like Jordan said, it's his first, you know, part of a 10 man coaching staff of full recruiting responsibility and all that. And again, I don't know him a ton. You know, he's obviously a young coach, but I like that it's a continuing trend of Coach Elliott feeling comfortable to hire guys that are younger in their 20s and just saying, I think you're going to be a good coach and I'm going to give you this opportunity. Like we've seen it with Dan and we saw it with Antrell this offseason as well. And I like that tendency because it's a chance to get some really nice up and coming coaches and not being afraid to say, I think you can do the job and giving you the job. All right. So, of course, we've got some sports bits for you. Lots going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. First up today, this afternoon, as of the release of this podcast, men's basketball, of course, taking on number one overall seed Gonzaga Thursday, 4.15 p.m. on TNT. Be there or be the squarest of squares. Well, flights to Portland are impossibly expensive. So tune in on TV and support the Panthers anyway. Softball has a doubleheader versus Dartmouth Thursday at 2 and 4 p.m. And then also versus App State Saturday at 1 p.m. and Sunday at 1 p.m. Beach Volleyball is facing Tulane, UAB, and Grand Canyon in the March to May event in Gulf Shores, Alabama on Friday. And then facing UCLA and LSU on Saturday in the second day of the same event. Baseball, as we said earlier, hosting Little Rock at the GSU Baseball Complex at 6 p.m. Friday, 4 p.m. Saturday, and noon Sunday, those last two games being on ESPN+, Plus, as well as the big game against UGA at Cool Ray Field in Lawrenceville at 6 p.m. Women's tennis will be at Troy at 10 a.m. Saturday and at South Alabama in Mobile at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Men's tennis hosting Troy and Atlanta at 10 a.m. Saturday and South Alabama in Atlanta at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Women's golf will spend Sunday through Tuesday at the Bama Beach Bash, hosted by South Alabama and Gulf Shores, while men's golf travels to Humboldt, Texas for the All-American Intercollegiate, hosted by Houston, on Monday and Tuesday. So, lots to keep up with for the Panthers this week. We will be providing live coverage of that NCAA tournament game versus Gonzaga. So, hope to see you involved in that. Go Panthers, and we'll see you next week. Bye.